If you would, turn in the Bible to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Last week, I thought I was going to preach the whole rest of the chapter and just kind of ran out of time. And so, as I said in last week's message, we'll finish it up this week, and that's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. We are coming off of the seventh trumpet. That's the end of chapter 11. We have the woman and the dragon, these key characters. The woman being the people of God, the dragon being the devil. The baby that's coming is the Savior, which as soon as he's born is taken away. He's protected. And what we see happening is the dragon, Satan, then goes after God's people. And that's what we're studying. This is actually our third week in chapter 12. But like everything in the word of God, we are to be secure and established in that God is in charge. He's big and powerful and he reigns. God's not worried. He's got this under control. We see this going on here. The seventh trumpet at Revelation 11 was to be the end of the world. That's the end when Christ comes and judgment happens. But now we get some detail through these chapters 12, 13, and 14. And that's what we're studying And while there's a lot to think about here because Satan is thrown down to earth and we're processing that, we are still to know that God has beaten Satan. God has defeated Satan. One, with his almighty power because he's God, but two, even more specifically, through Christ. His death on the cross his defeat and dealing with sin, and then his resurrection, overcoming sin and death. Christ is the victor. He is victorious. And whoever trusts in him has the victory. Revelation is showing us this played out on a grand stage from a big picture. We are to be encouraged by that. You are never to think in studying the scriptures that God's in trouble or God's in the struggle. He's not. Matter of fact, he's showing us why we struggle and the efforts of the devil and his attacks, even more clearly, his accusations against us. The devil wants to tear us up. But in light of that, in the same scene, we see that God is bigger and more powerful You know, over the years, I have loved wrestling at home with the kids. It's a fun thing for dads to do. Get down on the floor and let the kids come and wrestle. I mean, it never gets old. And every once in a while, through my wife's Facebook memories, a memory will pop up and she'll show me of me wrestling with the boys some 10 years ago, 12 years ago, and those are great. Those are great. And you love it when you throw them across the room onto a couch and they come right back fighting with you, right? It's easy to be a dad and beat up your toddlers. (laughs) But over the years, they've grown up. And sadly, we don't wrestle as much as we used to. But still, every so often, we do. And it's a little bit different now. I think I'm getting older and weaker, and they're getting bigger and stronger. 
And so every once in a while, I will think that we're just play wrestling. And there'll be a little bit more than I had anticipated. And I'll be reminded, wait a second here. They're growing up. They're getting strong. They might hurt me. And then the dad strength comes in. And you kind of push back or flex back. You got to let them know. Put them in their place. Remind them. You might be big, but I'm bigger. You might be strong, but I'm stronger. You don't always do that. You got to make sure they know. Revelation does that for us chapter after chapter. Is Satan scary? Yes. Is he working? Yes. Is he trying hard to kill, steal, and destroy all he can? Yes. Is he going to stop God from doing what God's doing and saving a people and calling them to himself and bringing them into relationship with him and identifying them with his son Christ in all forgiveness to know and worship God forever in love? Is he going to stop that? Not at all. Not a chance. Revelation gives us both pictures. Read with me, if you will, from Revelation chapter 12, starting in verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Verse seven tells us that war arose in heaven. God's angel Michael and his angels were fighting against the dragon and his angels. A war in heaven. And in that scene, verse eight and nine tell us that the great dragon was thrown down to earth. And on earth, he goes to attack the woman, the people of God, that would give birth to the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, which we know the story of that very well. Mary, some 2,000 years ago, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, the God-man, to be the Savior of the world. And the devil was unable to get Jesus. And so, because of that, he then turns to attacking the woman or the people of God. That's what this scene is about. R.C. Sproul very succinctly says, having failed to destroy Christ, the dragon tries to destroy the people of Christ. Now, that's the day we're living in. A failed Satan. He can't kill Jesus. He can't stop Jesus. He can't destroy Jesus. He can't do anything to Jesus. It's a lost cause. The devil cannot win. He will not win. And since he knows that, 
he's going down swinging, trying to take as many people as he can with him. He's trying to destroy the people of Christ. And what Revelation is doing is teaching us to be strong and strengthened during him. It's showing us where our strength comes from. It's pointing us to the security that there is in Christ. This passage today takes us a step further. I want to remind you that at the end of verse 12, it says, therefore, or there, verse 12 says, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. The devil only has so much longer before Christ returns, ends it all, and the devil is put away forever. The Bible teaches us that the devil will be thrown into hell forever as well. Forever and ever, the Bible says. And so what we have here today is what I'm calling part two of Satan thrown down to earth. Last week, we looked at verses 7 through 12, and this week, we look at verses 13 through 17. You remember last week that I've had two points. The struggle is real, and the salvation is real. The struggle is real, and the salvation is real. And the struggle being that, that, that Satan is all of these things. He's the ancient serpent that takes us back to Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden and the way that he so craftily and sneaky and deceptively worked against Adam and Eve and got them to doubt God and got them to do things they shouldn't do and got them to disobey and sin. He's also described as the devil. He's also described, uh, this is all in chapter 12, verse 9. He's also described as Satan. He's described as the deceiver of the whole world. In verse 10, he's described as the accuser. And all of these descriptions show us what the devil is like. He's not good. He's bad. He's a problem. But the passage wants us to have more of an emphasis on our salvation in Christ than our struggle with the devil. First John tells us that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So there may be a great struggle in the world. There may be a great struggle and trial in our life. There may be deception and accusation. There may be deceit. There may be um, all of this going on at the hands of the devil. But our salvation is stronger, greater, more secure. In our passage today, we see that developed a little further. Same idea, the struggle and the salvation. The struggle is real, the salvation is real, but developed a little bit more. My first point, my first point this morning is soaring through the struggle. Soaring through the struggle. These people, the people of God, that the devil is so viciously going after are soaring with wings like an eagle because of God's saving grace in their lives. This is true eternally, spiritually. This is true in the life of a believer, in the child of God. The devil's attacks and the struggle that comes along with it is embraced or countered 
or pushed through, soaring upon the wings of an eagle. Look what it says in verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. He couldn't defeat the child, so now he goes after the woman. Verse 14, but the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. God's provision through his salvation is described here with beautiful imagery of an eagle soaring in the wings given to the woman so that she can just take off away from the serpent and go to a place where she's nourished. What a beautiful picture of the life of a believer. It doesn't say Satan's not there. It doesn't say the accusations aren't real. But it's a picture of soaring through the struggle. Believers are to know in their identity that these two things can be true. Is the devil going after us? Does the devil attack us at times? Is the devil working in our lives? Yes. But is the salvation of our God described by soaring with wings and eagle? Is it not also true at the same time? Yes. This is what we see here. And the language is awesome, is it not? The woman was given the two wings of the great eagle. Don't we love the eagle? Don't we love the eagle? Man, an eagle is about a 10-pound bird. The tallest of eagles are about three feet. But the wingspan is bigger than this. Wingspan is bigger than than my wingspan. An eagle's wingspan could be some seven feet. They could just soar. They fly so majestically and gracefully that you don't see eagles flap their wings that much, do you? Most images of an eagle are just them doing this. They look so peaceful, don't they? They look so beautiful and awesome. I was doing a little research. It said an eagle can sometimes fly 100 miles per hour. Eagles are awesome. God knows that he made them. He made them. God made the eagle, if you didn't know that. He made it. Every little detail. The bald ones, not the bald ones, the white ones. I mean, God made it. He made their beaks and their their, their feet, made their wings, made made them. God made the eagle in all of its majesty. And then God also uses this description a lot for us. It's here, but it's also pretty common. In Exodus chapter 19, God has just delivered the people of Israel through the Exodus out of Egypt. And remember, they're wandering through the wilderness. You know the story. They're wandering through the wilderness. They've just gotten out of Egypt, and they come to Mount Sinai. They're at the foot of the mountain. And Moses goes up on the mountain to talk to God. Listen to this. There is, this is Exodus 19. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. Listen to this. These are the words of God to his people that he just delivered out of slavery in Egypt. 
This is a metaphor for our salvation. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You like that description of the Exodus? Yes. You know the story of the Exodus, right? They're slaves in Egypt for all of these years. They're miserable. They hate it. They're crying out. They're crying out. They're crying out. God sends Moses to go to Pharaoh. And over the course of the 10 plagues, they get out. And now they're traveling to where they don't know. They're through the wilderness, right? There's all that. And they get to Mount Sinai. And when God, in a short little sentence, describes that, he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to those Egyptians. They're recalling the power, the miracles. They're recalling the death angel and the 10th plague and the death of the firstborn and the splitting of the sea and them passing through and then the sea being closed back up. I mean, this miraculous deliverance, this salvation. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. What a beautiful description. The salvation that God brings. What he does in your heart. What he does when he forgives your sins. What he does when he gives you your life and your purpose and makes you understand that you are a child of God. Is he sets you free. Your identity is no longer bound to your past or your sins or your shortcomings or what everybody else thinks about you. But your identity is found in the work of Christ. So that we sing the old classic songs like Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. My sin had messed it up, left a stain, but he washed it white as snow. My identity is in Christ, and he describes that as being on eagles' wings. We don't see eagles much, but you might see a video on TV or pull one up on YouTube, or I know that in Kentucky, we got the eagle watch. Y'all could go down there and watch that. But the next time you see a huge bird, just so beautifully coasting through the wind, I want you to say, that's what God's doing in my heart. That's what God's doing in my life. You see that bird, how awesome that looks? That's what God's doing in my life. That's what God's doing in my heart. In Revelation chapter 12, Satan turns from going after Christ and attacks the woman, but God sends the wings and gives them to the people of God that they might fly, soar, away from the serpent, into the wilderness for nourishment. Folks, the life of the believer is one that is soaring through the struggle. No matter what we're dealing with, we are loved by God. And the Bible says that that love overcomes everything. You know in Romans 8, where Romans 8 ends with that great big description of the love of Christ, where it says we are more than conquerors, where it says nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You know that? But do you remember the context where that came out? He's talking about tribulation. He's talking about distress. He's talking about all the struggle. Matter of fact, we got that weird quote at the end of Romans 8 where he says, we are being killed all day long like sheep to the slaughter. It is in that struggle of this fallen world, influenced by Satan, 
that the child of God soars. We are to be reminded of that. We are loved. We are secure. We are in the hand of God and nothing can snatch us out of the hand of God. Soaring through the struggle. One commentator sums it up well with this. This wider pattern of aggressive satanic evil should actually reassure us and strengthen our resolve to resist him. Such struggles do not come upon us due to our sins alone, and victory is not gained due to our virtues alone. The conflict is bigger than our situation by itself, but we are called to take our place in the line of battle that stretches back a long way. And Revelation confirms that Christ's decisive victory already accomplished in the cross will soon be fulfilled completely when he returns to the earth to overthrow Satan and his evil rule completely. Because of what God has done in Christ, you and I are secure and saved. And so even in the struggle, we soar because our salvation is described by being on the wings of an eagle. What a beautiful picture. We know that life is difficult. We say it often that life is hard. I want to remind you here today to never forget Never lose sight, never lose perspective of your salvation in Christ. Never forget the eagle and his broad wings soaring as God's descriptive of you in Christ against the attacks of the devil, soaring through the struggle. Number one, soaring through the struggle. And then number two, we've only got two points today, would be the flip side of that, suffering through the salvation. On one hand, we say we soar through the struggle. On the other hand, we say we suffer through the salvation. These people, the conquerors, who have received God's real salvation by the blood, the testimony, and the love that's described there in the previous verses, they are suffering under the devil's attacks. If we're gonna be real, we're not just gonna say, keep soaring, guys, and act like there's no suffering. The Bible doesn't allow us to do that. The Bible won't allow us to leave out of here today acting like suffering's not real. The mercy of God will not allow us to leave out of here today acting like suffering is not happening today, presently in our lives. Many suffer. And we know that. And the Bible addresses it. The Bible does say that we suffer. They didn't like Jesus. He says they won't like us. They attack Jesus. They attack us. Satan tempted Jesus and he'll tempt us. He accuses, he slanders. He's doing everything, everything he can to ruin us, and that's real. And while that's going on, we're soaring, but the real life, real-time experience is often suffering. It's here where we must learn to walk by faith, not by sight. 
We must say that it's not exactly as it seems. We don't look to only what is seen. We know what's unseen. We believe in the eternal. We believe in the spiritual. We believe that the wind is blowing and you can't always see it. We believe that the Holy Spirit is near and he comforts on the inside. We believe that the presence of God is always with us. We believe that when we feel lonely, God is with us. We believe that when we're not happy, there's a joy inside of us. We believe that when life is chaotic, there's a peace inside of us. In our struggles, we struggle with salvation, meaning while we have salvation. This is a real aspect. Look what it says in verse 15. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. This isn't to be mistaken as anything weird or crazy or out there. It's very common in the scriptures that a flood or attack or, or water is a part of it. We see it over and over again, okay? We see water destroying people in Exodus. We see water destroying people in Genesis. We see water destroying people in the Psalms, right? It's a part of life. We see water destroying people in our world today. It's, attack, it's an attack of the devil in this passage whether it's literal water or whether it's something else, just a flood of attacks, I don't know, but it's just the devil coming hard after the people of God. Verse 16, but the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make one of the rest of her offspring. And then it describes the people being attacked Look at this description. What a beautiful description of the people of God. Those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. You know who those people are? Those are the ones that the devil is spewing out a flood of attacks on. Those are the people that tomorrow are going to say, Why is life so hard? Those are the people that tomorrow are going to be crying or hurting or pain and suffering that life is so hard. There's so much temptation and trial and struggle. And the Bible tells us right here that like a flood coming out of his mouth, he's coming after the people of God. Well, which ones? The ones that keep the commandments of God. The ones that hold tight to the testimony of Jesus. The ones that say, I know he loves me. I know he forgives me. I know he died for me. The ones that say, I know that the tomb is empty and that Christ is alive. Those people holding tightly to their salvation are the ones suffering under the devil's attacks. It happens. The devil attacking you is not a sign that you're not a child of God. Suffering under temptation and trial is not a sign that you're not a child of God. It's a sign that the devil's attacking you. And may you soar through the struggle. May you trust in your salvation through the struggle. And may we see here that God has that planned out. God's the one that gave the wings. God's the one that led the wings into the wilderness. God's the one that took them to a place of nourishment. God's the one that allows the earth to swallow up the flood. God's the one who keeps his people from being overtaken by the devil. He is a keeping God. Schreiner writes, in other words, God provides means of escape for the church. Just as he did when Israel was rescued from Egypt in the waters of the Red Sea, 
so that the church will not be destroyed by the serpent. The church may be, listen to this, the church may be rocked by false teaching and moral compromise, but it finally and ultimately stands erect and steadfast. The devil cannot and will not win. We may be suffering under his attacks, but we suffer through our salvation. And sometimes we are aware that the wings are holding us up and we're soaring, we're loved, we're forgiven, we're safe, we're safe, we're secure. And sometimes we feel it a little more than others. When I was in high school, I remember being a part of groups like FCA or Bible studies or things like that at school and you know, it's always, it's always tough to try to do those, but you got kids that show up, and then you'll, you'll have a kid share their testimony here, share their testimony there, and I, I'll never forget this. There was a girl in our school who was just, she was, she was a great girl. She made good grades and played sports, and I think she was like an all-county or all-conference or something in track. And I remember her sharing her testimony one time. I had never heard this example before, and now I hear it a lot, but I'd never heard it before. Her family had come through some hard times. They were going through some trials. Her dad had actually come down with a disease and he was permanently in a wheelchair and he was like the, the breadwinner for her family. So it brought all sorts of trials upon her family. She was the, the, the oldest of her siblings and so she felt responsibility and pressure more. And I remember at a, a Bible study at school, she was sharing her testimony. And she said, you know, a lot of the times I feel like a duck You've probably heard this analogy before. She said, when you see a duck, they glide across the water. Nothing's moving. They're beautiful, got good color, gracious, graceful, peaceful, just looks like the coolest thing. A duck just sits there. And you can never see what's under the surface of a duck. But if you could see what's under the surface of a duck, it's really a totally different picture. Under the water of that smooth, peaceful, pretty duck are two legs with those webbed feet that are just working like a mile a minute, nonstop. What the duck looks like under the surface is really a lot different than what the duck looks like above the surface. And I'll never forget that high school girl saying, I don't know if y'all see what's under the surface, but I'm telling y'all there's a lot going on inside of me. I've never forgotten that. But she was a real Christian then and she's a real Christian now, some 20 years later. And I remember her saying, but whether I'm gliding on top looking nice to all of you all or whether I'm struggling underneath the service and y'all can't see it, I am loved by God, forgiven of my sins and secure in Christ. Revelation wants you and I to be grounded in the supreme saving work of Jesus. The devil 
the ancient serpent, the great dragon, the accuser, the slanderer, all of those things is coming at us with a flood. And at times it is so hard, I know. But the sovereign God has him defeated and he will keep you. He will hold you fast. He has you. They are those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. As you're reminded here this morning of the devil's attacks and the wiles of the devil, as Ephesians 6 describes it, as you're reminded of that and the struggle of this life, May you look to be those who can identify and connect with the very language of Revelation 12. That you're the child of God soaring on the wings of an eagle, not because you know how to fly, but because he's given you that flight in Christ. Not because you know how to soar and you're so good at life, but because God is carrying you in his grace. May you see yourself here as those who keep the commandments of God, May you say, I don't know what I'm doing in life. I don't know what God's doing with my life. I don't know why God has me going through this season. I don't know what God's plan is, but I will look to him. I'll control what I can control, and I won't worry about the things that I can't control. I'll put my hand to the plow. I'll turn my eyes upon Jesus. I'll let the things of this world grow strangely dim, and I will seek to obey my God where I know how to obey him. I will walk the straight and narrow by his grace and power working in me so that I will be found soaring through the struggle. May you hold to the testimony of Jesus. May you see in Revelation 12, 17, that simple description of those who hold to the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is that you're a sinner, but God loves you and sent his son to die for your sins that God so loved the world that he gave his son for you, that by you believing you will not die, you will not perish, you will not face the judgment, but you will have eternal life. May the testimony of Christ be your testimony, and may you be found strong through the struggle. The Bible teaches us that in our lives and in the Christian life and walking by faith, that life is hard and challenging, right? There's all those passages in the New Testament about being weak, right? Paul says he rejoices in his weakness, for when he's weak, God is strong, and God's strength works in him, and God's grace is sufficient for his weakness. Well, all of that weakness comes about through the struggle. All of that weakness comes about through the sinful frailties that we have. All that weakness comes about through the attacks of the devil, and yet, through our gospel, through God's gospel, through the truth, through the testimony of Jesus, we find our identity in being sinners that are forgiven, loved even though we've sinned. We keep the commandments of God. We hold to the testimony of Christ, for this is our salvation. As you think about life and its trials, may you be reminded to soar through the struggle. May you be reminded to suffer through the salvation. It can be simultaneously true. You're as secure as you can possibly be in Christ, and yet life's a struggle. And may you be strengthened by the word of God that God will not fail you. 
In wrapping up our sermon today, I want us to look back at Isaiah 40. Turn there, please. I'll give you some time. Isaiah 40. Isaiah is a massive book, all right? A massive book in the Old Testament. It's what we read earlier, but I want you to hear it. Isaiah 40. We're going to look at this. I want everybody to see it. Isaiah chapter 40. I'm going to show you a couple things. This is one of the best chapters in the entire Bible. Isaiah 40 is outstanding. I'm going to walk you through just a couple things real quick. Isaiah 40 verse 1 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Do you see that? God has a comforting message for us. Ultimately, always in his love for us and our salvation. Verse three says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We know that John the Baptist came as a fulfillment of some of that the one preparing the way for Christ. He's identified in this passage as God's huge announcement that the ultimate comfort in all of life is the salvation through Jesus. You get down to verse six, and we see the emphasis upon the word of God. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. What great truth, folks. That verse, those verses right there are saying this. The grass in your yard, it's gonna be gone soon. The flowers at your house, they're going to be gone soon. Human beings are like grass. We're going to be gone soon. But the word of God is eternal. It is the rock of all rocks. It's the salvation. It's the foundation. It's the truest thing in the world. Every bit of our lives ought to be dug deep into this. The grass, the flowers, and us are fading away, but not his word. You jump over to verse 25. That's what we read earlier. And God is flexing on us like the dad who gets stunned by a second by his teenager's strength when they're wrestling and has to bounce back and show that he's stronger. God here says, you know all the stars up in the sky? You know how there's so many of them? Well, I know them all. I made them all. I named them all. I count them all. I'm in charge of them all. They're mine, he says in verses 25 and 26. And then it starts to end by dealing with our topic today, our weaknesses. This passage that's loaded with all of these gems, these treasures, these truthful statements ends with how weak we are. 
Look at verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God? The creator of the ends of the earth? Look at this. God does not faint. He doesn't grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And do you know what the God Almighty, whose word stands forever, who has the stars named like his his own creation that he knows and deals with, the stars that cannot be counted, this Almighty God, you know what he does with his power? Verse 29, he gives power to the faint. Hey, the next time you see an eagle soaring and you say, that's my salvation, you ought to be encouraged by the word of God. But at the same time, the next time you're about to faint and you say, I I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know how much longer I can take. I want you to remember right here that almighty God with all of his power gives power to people just like that. The down and out, the broken, the guilty, the sinful, he gives power to them. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. What a heavy truth that God's word tells us there in verse 30. You know what that means? That means everybody struggles. Hey, those 25-year-olds that are at the gym and working and those people that just ran 20 miles this week and those ones that got the six-pack so they take their shirt off to show it to you, hey, they're going to struggle sometimes too is what God's Word says. They're going to give out sometimes. They're going to faint. They're going to grow weary. And they're going to wonder, man, I, I just can't catch a break. I can't figure it out. I thought I was in good shape. I thought I was strong enough, right? Everybody is not strong enough. Everybody is in the struggle. The devil is a mastermind at coming at you in different ways to destroy you. And God just says it. Even youth, even young men will give out. But the final verse is what we'll end with today. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Not those who get up and go get after it. Nope. Not those that say, I refuse to be denied. I will not give up. Those that stop, quit, give up, trying to be strong enough in their own strength. Those that sit down or bow down or lay down. Those that surrender to the God that loves them and say, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me. Those that wait for him get strength. The strongest people in the world are not the ones that look it. They're the ones that are being held by the love of God in Christ. And they are so secure that even while life is filled with Satan's attacks, they're soaring on the inside. And even while they're limping on their way to heaven, for sure they're going to get there because their salvation is in the testimony of Jesus. 
They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Well, God, give us a picture of that, you might ask, okay? Verse 31, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. We've heard that before, right? Exodus 19. We've heard that before, right? Revelation 12, that's a beautiful picture of the weak person soaring. Not because they are good at life, but because the salvation through Jesus is so good. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I can't promise you that life will get easier, but I can promise you that Jesus will get you through it. I can't promise you that life's not gonna have struggle, but I can promise you that God's salvation will never leave you through it all. Ultimately, because Christ has already been through every struggle and taken the ultimate sacrifice of dying in your place. May you love the Bible's imagery that we are soaring on the wings of an eagle. May you be humbled by the Bible's honesty. Life's hard. It's a struggle. But his salvation will not fail us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Revelation chapter 12. Satan's described as an angry dragon. And yet, God, your people are safe, even nourished. We thank you for that. Oh God, ground us, establish us in Jesus' salvation. Father, move in us, we ask. Help us to not boast of our strength, but boast of our weaknesses. Help our weaknesses to help our weaknesses drive us to you. Father, lead us to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.